Thank you for checking out the Warehouse Church Podcast. We would love to connect with you. Take a moment and visit us at warehousechurch.com. Wherever you are, we hope this message encourages you today. Now, here's Pastor Ed. with you next Sunday afternoon, right after our morning worship service. Our Spanish ministry is going to be joining us in our service next week, and uh, so that, that'll be a real neat time together with our whole church family meeting together. <coughs> if you haven't done it, and we do this on purpose, we try to have all of our Spanish families and our families in the English service uh, come through the front doors as much as possible, especially with our kids' check-in, uh, just so there's some unity amongst us, because Sometimes, even though there's just a wall that separates us, we don't want a wall that separates us. Uh, we, we are one in Christ. Uh, you, will, you will meet some of the kindest, nicest, uh, most sacrificing people uh, are, that are part of this ministry are, get, are having a worship service right next door to us. And I would encourage you, maybe not every week if you have to get in and get out quickly, uh, but try to uh, get over there and just say hi to some folks. And, and uh, you know, even if you don't speak the same language, we have a unity in Jesus Christ I was reading, I think it was in Psalm 133 this morning, it says, Behold, how good it is when brothers, and I'm going to add this, and sisters dwell together in unity. That pleases God. 
Uh, but, but that's kind of against our human nature because we're really known by, what, by the way that we're different more than, we know, than we're known by our unity. Uh, you see somebody that looks different than you, you notice what's different about them. You know, that's the first thing you notice. Oh, he's a lot taller or she's a lot shorter or he's got really long hair. Good to see you this morning, Gary, by the way. We're glad you're here with us today. But um, I, I'm really proud of our staff. They did a great job last week, heard great reports of our service and uh, all those that, that participated in that next week. And then Kim told you just a few minutes ago about Thanksgiving dinners uh, for families. This is a really neat thing. And Joe's going to give you some of the details of what we need because we don't have a big refrigerator to put all that stuff in. So we're going to have you bring all that stuff in shifts on Friday and Joe's going to give you all the, the whatnots about that at the end of the service. But uh, Gary has made a really good connection to, what's the name of the school? Richardson West. And uh, I'm sorry, junior high? Okay. And he's doing a mentoring program there on Thursdays uh, with, with young men. And if you have, uh, what time do you start that on Thursday? 3.30. If you're free on, on Thursdays at 3.30 uh, for about an hour, hour and a half, and you, you have some time, guys, to pour into some young men, uh, talk to Gary uh, about how you can be a part of that. It may not be every week, but you can help him mentoring young men. It is really, uh, from what the principal has attested to, uh, has just turned that campus that whole campus has been impacted by this ministry that Gary's doing on campus at Richardson West Junior High School. But our church, the, the, the principal and Gary were talking, and uh, Gary told them that we do Thanksgiving dinners, and, and the principal said, man, we have a lot of families uh, that come to this school that really could use some help around Thanksgiving. So Gary told him without asking, which I'm okay with, uh, that our church would be glad to sponsor a bunch of families for their Thanksgiving dinner, how many do you need? And the, and the principal said, well, at least 50. So I think we bought 72 or 75 baskets, their laundry baskets, and really they symbolize a family. And inside that you'll see a note. Joe's going to go over all that stuff with you. But uh, would you pray about that? And we need them back on Friday. Uh, it, it's about 25 maybe $30 worth of food. And that's not something you can't do. That's okay. But, you know, you can even write a little note, uh, drop it in that basket, and we're going to give those baskets if you're able to come directly to those families, you can be a part of that uh, if you're free on Friday to, to give those baskets directly to families. But what a great way to demonstrate. We, uh, last week when I was in Florida, uh, the, the text that I used was Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love for us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And the greatest way for us to demonstrate our love back to him is to love people he loves. I was walking around with my little granddaughter this morning, which I do occasionally in church on Sundays, and uh, when people, you know, are kind to me and love me, that really means a lot. And I, and I, and I thank you for the love uh, that you give to me and my wife. We're very honored to be your pastor here at this church. But, man, I'll tell you something. When somebody loves on my kids or loves on my grandkids, that's a game changer. You're not just my friend for life. I'll stand and defend you, uh, especially now that I've got all these guys in our church now that are, that are armed. So I, I, they're going to stand by my side. But... Uh, seriously, uh, you know, and, and, and when you demonstrate your love to somebody, it makes a difference in their life. And you know what it does? If you give them and meet the, a physical need that they have, that opens up the, the eyes and the ears of their heart to hear about uh, the greatest need that we, can, that we can help them meet, and that's by sharing with them Jesus Christ. And when you meet somebody's physical needs first, you know what you do? You get their attention. And, and that's why we support MANA worldwide. That's why we support missions all over the world, uh, just to do such a thing. So... Uh, please be a part of that. And then next Sunday uh, also is wear your favorite team jersey to church next week. Because next week, 
Your Dallas Cowboys are playing a team that's in first place in the NFC East. I said Dallas Cowboys. I didn't say the name of the other team. But you may like soccer and you may like college football, big college football day yesterday, or a high school jersey. Whatever your favorite team is, wear that jersey to church next Sunday, and we'll have some fun with that next week. So we've been doing this um, series called We Don't Care, and I had somebody say to me, Pastor Ed, that's not really a great way to start off a sentence with somebody is that you don't care. And uh, I hope that you've seen the, the, the real meaning behind that statement is, is we don't care about <clears throat> whatever it is that's in your past that may keep you from serving or, or, or feeling accepted or feeling loved. We, because the, the truth of the matter is every single person in this room has a past, is a sinner, and has messed up. If you believe, I'd say amen. amen. All of us have, right? Um, you know who's a really good organization that's very, very good that the church could learn a lot from in accepting people in the midst of current failures is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. I don't know if we have any recovering folks in here. I wouldn't ask you to, to identify yourself in the church service, but we had a very strong recovery ministry in our church in Philadelphia. One of the ways, if you've ever seen it played out on television, if you've ever been to an AA or an NA meeting, uh, you say your name and you say how long that you've been sober or that you've been practicing sobriety. And, you know, whether you say, and I'll use my name, my name's Ed Trinkle and I've been sober for 22 years, and then he would say, hi, Ed. Or if I were to say, hey, my name, oh, thank you, honey. If I were to say, hey, my name is Ed Trinkle and I've been sober for 12 hours, you know, you wouldn't get a gasp. You wouldn't get a judgmental look from other people that are sitting in that circle. You'd get love and acceptance and care and understanding and, and, and an attentive ear. I think that's something the church could learn a lot from. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not, I'm not, that's not an indictment against anybody that's in the service this morning. But sometimes if you've been saved for a long time and part of a church and trying to live right and, and that's really never been a struggle for you, some of, some of those challenges that, that some people have that may be foreign to you, it may be hard for you to relate to that and even know how to respond. It might not be because that you disapprove or dislike. You just don't know how to respond to it, you know? Have you ever met somebody that told you something crazy about their lives and you're like, hey, that's nice. Uh, boy, it's really nice weather today because you just don't know what to say, you know? You just don't really know how to respond to that. And what I want to talk to you today about is... It kind of has to do with the expectation that we have in church. Uh, the, I, I called my message this this morning. We don't care if you've messed up. Here's the key word. You ready? Recently. Recently. I think we come to church sometimes and we hear an evangelistic message or we hear a message about life change. And I think some of the expectation that if you've been part of a church for, for any period of time is... Boy, I hope God does something in somebody's life today, right? We'll pray for life change to happen in other people's lives. We'll think of a person that you may even know, you know. Hey, I've got this person I work with, or I've got this person in my life that has this struggle, and I'm going to be a real spiritual giant in their life, and I'm going to send them that version link that, that Ed was talking about earlier in church. So they can listen to that message because that would really help them. But sometimes we don't first person that thing where we're listening and going, you know what? 
I, I might not be an alcoholic or I might not be a drug addict or I might not have a terrible checkered past, but I'm going to open my heart up and listen to what God may have for me today. You know, because here's the truth of the matter. We, and we talked about this the very first week. We do the sin scale thing, right? Stuff that's not so bad and the stuff that's really, really bad, right? Because we're Christians and lying's okay and exaggerating is okay and, 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 and cussing a little bit's okay, especially when you're trying to get on 75 and it's closed this weekend, you know. That stuff's okay, but, you know, the big sins, you know, we look at that and go, oh, we kind of get the shock thing going and, and we get... A little bit judgmental in our tone, even when we don't mean to. I read an article this week, accidental uh, article actually, when I was surfing through the internet. Not surfing literally, they don't make surfboards that big. But It talked about the top ten characters, and, and I, it's probably a secular article, but the guy wrote the top ten characters in the Bible. And I'm going to talk about who this author said was the number three top 10 character in the Bible, and that's a guy named David. David was a guy that was known as a man after God's own heart. David was a guy that was chosen at a very, very young age to be the king over God's chosen people, Israel. David's Bible story about him and Goliath is probably one of the most recognized Bible stories by Christians and even by people that, that don't practice Christianity that have heard the story of David and Goliath. You hear the, the reference to David and Goliath in sporting uh, events. You know, David defeats Goliath, you know, when a, when a small nothing team beats a big gigantic team that should win the game. Well, David could beat Goliath today, you know. And, and it's referred to a lot even in pop culture. It's a very similar, uh, it's a very familiar story that, that, that many of us are very, uh, can, can pr give the finer points of that story to, the story of David and Goliath. David as he grew and his, his, his uh, influence grew, the ladies in Israel would sing a song about him and King Saul that made Saul really, really mad. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands, the Bible teaches us. And he was just, he was a warrior. He was a man's man. Uh, he went out and, and conquered uh, enemy after enemy after enemy after enemy. And he just was a butt kicker for Jesus, if you let me say that this morning, Okay. But David, like all of us, had a flaw, you know. The bad thing about flaws are is when you're, when you're not honest with yourself about your flaws or, or your struggles that you have. It's a very good place in your life when you recognize where you're weak. That, that's a good place to be in because then you can, you know, fortify yourself in those areas or get help or, or really submit that area to the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 11... David kind of got into a place where he thought he had arrived. And I want to tell you something. That's a dangerous place for Christians to be. Where we think we've been that, been there, done that, know all the stuff. I know the books of the Bible. There's 66 of them. There's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I know all the stuff about Jesus. I know what the gospel means. I know who he's talking about this morning. I am really familiar with the Bible. I've taught Sunday school. I've done nursery. I've done youth ministry. I've helped out in church dinners. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. And we kind of get to a place where we've done all that stuff. And now it's time for us to watch other people do so and just kind of sit back and relax. And I want to tell you something. That is a dangerous, dangerous place for you to be spiritually. And that's what happened to David here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this. 
<coughs> in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, now that's a, that is a huge, huge statement about David because he was somewhere he shouldn't have been is what the verse says. But in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David took a nap. David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came out to the palace, the Bible says that he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home later. And somebody said, why would the Bible say that? Well, she was, she was primed to get pregnant is, is, is what it was. And that's significant to the story. Then she returned home. And my daughters will correct me about all that when I get home today. Dad, you just talked about that in church. I just read the Bible, so... Then when she returned home later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message and saying, I am pregnant. Yikes. How could a guy, after God's, who's known, whose descriptive title throughout Scripture is, a man after God's own heart commit such an egregious sin? I mean, there's multiple layers of the sin that he, first he wasn't with his men where he should have been, Right? If you look at the progression of his fall, he was somewhere he shouldn't have been. He saw something he shouldn't have looked at. He took something that wasn't his. And then the Bible tells the story to continue that he brings Bathsheba's husband home thinking that if I could get her husband home from battle and he hasn't seen her in a while and he'll go and be with her, right, then, then she could tell everybody that the baby's his and everything's fine and I got it all covered. And Uriah was such a faithful warrior. He said, I'm not going to go in and enjoy my family, enjoy my wife, while my countrymen are fighting this battle for the Lord and for our kings. The Bible says he slept out on the palace outside, like on the front step. So David told General Joab, listen, Uriah's coming back, and here's what I want you to do. When you engage in battle, put him on the front row, and as soon as the battle gets really, really bad, you pull everybody else back except for Uriah. And Uriah was killed because of that. And David said, man, I got this thing covered. Not only is Uriah dead, I'm going to marry Bathsheba and I'm going to be gallant and valiant and people are going to think I'm the man and take care of her. Oh, this poor woman who's, got a, who's pregnant with child and her husband died fighting this war. And look at this king, he's going in, he's going to clean it, he's, he's going to take care of her. What a guy, what a king. And of course, the Bible teaches us that David got caught. He got caught bad. And the progression of his sin led to him even killing a man to cover his tracks. And the thing that I find interesting about the story, you know, God allows us to learn about the humanity of so many different people, whether they're the top 10 in scripture or whoever they are. And I think he does that so that we can, first of all, very personally relate to him, to, to them. Because there is something about, you know, we talked about alcohol recovery and narcotic recovery but what happens in our life when we mess up and we sin is there such a thing to steps 
of spiritual recovery. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How can I take steps in my life to spiritually recover today? You may not have a sin like this in your life like David had. You know, Christian or non-Christian reading this story, this is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty tough, rotten thing that David did. Taking another man. I mean, just the whole progression of it, man. It's just like, wow, why would, why would this guy who God spoke to, who God delivered, who God used to kill Goliath, who God used to kill thousands and thousands and thousands of people, why would this guy step into this mess? Because, you know, there, there, there's so many domino effects that, that we underestimate. I heard a great character quality of a mature Christian person is, is when they learn how to magnify the consequences of sin. It's a great quality, isn't it? David underestimated the magnification of, of what would happen because of that sin. There was such a domino effect in David's own life. That son that, 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 that Bathsheba became pregnant with, God would allow that son to die as a punishment of what David had done. And then the Bible tells us that the sword never left David's house because of this specific sin. And if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll see about David's punishment. You read 2 Samuel chapter 13 and 14, you see David's kids. Man, David, after that, his house was just a wreck. His one son raped his stepsister. And then the brother of the stepsister killed that son. And man, there was just, his house was just a mess because of what David did. And we don't magnify the consequences of sin. Well, nobody's going to find out. It's not that big of a deal. Is this really going to hurt me? It's my life. I could do with what I want to with it. And here's the truth, church. When you have a struggle in your life or have a sin in your life, whether it's something crazy like this or something that you might not think is a big deal, it has long-term impacts on many people's lives. It does. I was joking with my friend Dan just before church service this morning. And I was saying, well, we had a goal to pay for our kids' colleges, right? But we did the parent plus thing. And now we're shackled, you know, until, but we'll have them paid off by the time we're like 120, 122 years old. And with modern medicine, we'll live that long, right? But I said, my goal now is not to pay for my kids' college. I'm going to pay for my grandkids' college. And we just looked at each other and went, <laughs> you know. But, you know, there's decisions I made when I was 21, 22, 25, 30 years old that still affect me today as a 51-year-old man. And we don't, we don't think about that. We don't think about the long-term consequences of decisions we make in our life today. But if there's something in your life that, 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 that where, where, you've, where you've experienced a hiccup, where you've experienced a speed bump spiritually, where maybe this week was a hard week for you because you made, bad, you made a bad decision this week. Where maybe in the last week or the last month or so, you, you, you kind of hit a wall where you did something you shouldn't have done or, or you went somewhere you shouldn't have went or you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at or you took something that didn't belong to you. All the things that David, if, if, if any of that is true in, in your life this morning, I want you to know something. Even though today you may hear in the church, there's this word in the church today that I don't like because I think it's used in the wrong way, and it's called disqualification. When somebody messes up, a pastor messes up, or a full-time Christian worker messes up, 
you'll hear that fraud. He can't do that. He's disqualified from being used by God. That's not true. Because God, from the moment that you accepted Christ to save, you're qualified to disqualified. You know? Now, there are ramifications of bad decisions that we make in our life. We have to, you know, we have to give forgiveness, but trust doesn't come back that easy, does it? I mean, there's a lot of things that, that we have to overcome as part of that sin that we commit. But if the church truly is a place that's a house of prayer, if the church truly is a place where you can get forgiveness and love, if the church truly is a place where we believe life change can happen, then we ought to be practicing not only personally these steps to spiritual recovery in our own lives, but also making it available to everybody that walks through the doors of this building. Five steps to spiritual recovery today. Here's number one. And I'm going to reference in Psalm 51 this, this psalm of, of contrition or repentance that David wrote when he realized and he kind of started his road back uh, to, to, to being right with the Lord. F- step, five steps of spiritual recovery today. Step number one is this. Take responsibility for your sin. Psalm 51, 1 and 2, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out my sin and my stains. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. You know what you see a lot of them? There are a lot of personal pronouns or personal connective words there. Me, my, 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 my. We live in a generation today where we're taught how to blame others when we mess up and make ourselves the victims instead of making ourselves the people that are responsible for what we've done wrong. Well, I'll tell you why I'm like that, because my mom and dad were da-da-da-da-da, you know? I'll tell you why I'm like that. Nobody ever taught me how to do this. Well, I'll tell you why I'm like that, because this person hurt me, and, and, and there's this weird, you know, the Bible talks about this too, how right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. There's this thing that, that we're taught in modern-day psychology in the current culture in our country today is you're not as bad as you really think you are. You are a product of your environment, you know? If you're overweight, it's because your parents gave you too many frosted flakes and God forbid whole milk when you were a kid, you know? It's my parents' fault that I'm overweight. It's my parents' fault that I'm this. It's my parents' fault. And, and you don't hear it very often where people take responsibility for their own actions. It's actually kind of refreshing, isn't it? I did this, and I was wrong. Well, it's not my fault. Well, it's not, and, and, and boy, we live in a time today where we've learned how to kind of to skirt around accepting responsibility for what we've done wrong. And, and David says here, I was wrong. My sin, my mess up, my problem, my stain. He understood that the sin belonged to him. Do you take ownership on what you do you wrong and what you do wrong or do you blame other people? It's easy to blame other. Hey, listen, that's a practice that went all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam, what did you do? God, that woman. Yeah. <laughs> you think about that for a moment. That hot woman you put in front of me, Lord, who didn't have any clothes on. What did you expect me to do but to listen to her, you know? You say, that's kind of crude. That's what the Bible teaches us. Take responsibility. Do you own what you've done wrong? 
Because here's what happens. When we become a victim of our own sin and not say, it was my fault. And it's not, it's not my fault because it's, this is the way people left it for me. Or this is, this is what I was handed. You can become this victim and almost make yourself a hero instead of making God the hero for forgiving you and restoring you. You know, we got to be careful not to victimize ourselves or to blame other people when we have faults in our lives. Step number two, we take responsibility for our sin. Step number two, come clean. David says in verse three, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And this is a great verse to memorize. It says in verse four, against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yet from the moment my mother conceived me. The Bible teaches us we were born in sin. Now listen, that's not an excuse that we have to be able to sin. Romans 6 teaches us, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says this, God forbid, how can you and I that are dead to sin continue to live in that same lifestyle? And here's what Paul's saying, stop making, you're born a sinner. So what? Stop making excuses for all the bad stuff you're doing. Get it right with God. And he teaches us to, David's teaching us not only to take responsibility, but to come clean. Here's number three. Or let me tell you this about coming clean. When people do not come clean, there's a reason. There's some things that, that, that keep them. Katie talked about fear this morning. All of us can understand there's something we're fearful of in our lives at some level or another. Uh, my girls are fearful of snakes and spiders. Terribly fearful of that, you know. I tell you what I'm fearful of, and I'm afraid you're going to make fun of me of it. I, I would not be as afraid as like, uh, what are those big cats that are going around eating dogs in our area right now? Bobcats. I, I'm not afraid of a bobcat, but you know what I'm, I'm super duper afraid of? Mice. I'm telling you the truth. A couple weeks ago, Katie and the girls carved out some pumpkins. Now, in, in PA, we could carve out a pumpkin that could sit on the front stoop of our house for a month. You can't do that down here. They're good for like two days, okay? They carved out some cool pumpkins, and I went out front, and one was just kind of wilting, you know? Went from a smiling pumpkin to a frowning pumpkin that was all wilted up. So I went in the house. I said, ugh, this is so gross. I got a plastic bag, and I wrapped the plastic bag around the pumpkin. I picked the pumpkin. I was in bare feet, and when I picked the pumpkin up, it was, I think it was a rat because it was a mouse like this big with a tail like this. And it ran across the top of my feet. I'm not kidding you. And I went, ah! I screamed like a girl. And Kim said, what's wrong? I said, a mouse ran across the top of my foot. And she said, a mouse? It wasn't like a bear or like a big tiger or something. I said, no, it was a mouse. And I'll tell you why I'm not afraid. I'll tell you why I'm afraid of mice because they're so dirty and gross. They carry diseases and, and just bubonic plague. And I mean, they're just gross. I was afraid of that mouse. There's things that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of being lonely. My wife laughs at me. I go, if I go to the store, go to get gas, or hey, you want to go? Why? Just, do you want to go with me? Why? Because I, I, I like to be with you. And she'll say, man, you are so needy. Is anybody else needy this morning in here? I don't like to be alone. 
I don't. Uh, and, it's not, and when I go out with some of my buddies and we go to the movies or do some stuff like that, we don't have to talk a lot. I just need to look and see somebody else is there. Okay, everything's okay. I'm not alone. <laughs> I don't like being alone. I'm afraid of that. You know, and there's a lot of things that, that, that scare me. But, you know, people that don't come clean, you know what they're afraid of? First thing is they're afraid of reputation impact. What does that mean? You ready for this? What's everybody else going to think about me if I come clean? You with me, sis? Give me a holla, say amen. Amen. We're afraid of that. We're afraid of what other people think about us. That keeps us from coming clean, even in our own families and with the people that we care so much about. What keeps us from coming clean also? You ready for this? We don't want to stop doing our favorite sin. I don't want to stop that. I like that. Nobody else has to know about it. Is it that big of a deal? It's my life. It's my problem. What's the big deal? And then there's the cost. We fear the cost. I could lose my position. I could lose a relationship. I could lose perception. I could lose, and you fill in the blank, whatever that may be for you. And it's hard for us to come clean. But here's what God wants us to do. Number three, ask for and you will receive forgiveness. Verse 6 it says, this is David talking about what God wants from him, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. And then he says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. I always used to chuckle when I would teach students about the story of Adam and Eve and talk about that naked part in the garden. You know what I mean? And the Bible says that, they, or that uh, God called out, Hey, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? And they said, We hid ourselves, right? Because we were naked. Now, if you stopped it there, most of us would go, well, I get that. You know, there's not too many, I would say, most people are not exhibitionists, you know, and want to walk around El Fresco. La la, here I am, you know. That's, that's not really something that you hear too many people like to do. And maybe it's just because I notice that because I don't have the perfect body. I'm vertically challenged. I'm a little bit heavy, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> but we're, we're kind of ashamed a little bit of that. You know, the mirror's kind of a rough place. The mirror just tells the truth. I want a bathroom with no mirrors. Somebody say amen to that. You know what I'm saying? Walk around your bathroom. You don't have to see what's going on, you know, the jiggles and all that kind of stuff. It's great. But, but here's, here's the thing that, that, that David's teaching us, and we learned this from Adam and Eve also. It wasn't because they were naked. It's because they were ashamed because of their sin. And that ashamed feeling that you feel maybe when you go to the doctor or when that happens in your life, that's exactly the kind of shame that we feel when our sin is exposed. When people know who you really are. And man, we love, 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 love protecting what people think about us. To the, to the degree of we won't tell the truth about ourselves. You know? I love hearing other people's redemption stories. Man, I've, I was a drug addict and I found Jesus and everything's wonderful now. Well, you know what? I was a drug addict and found Jesus is wonderful, but I can tell you this, not everything's hunky-dory every day for the rest of your life. And there may be someone in here that was saved at eight years old, 
grew up in a Christian church, Christian home environment, made all the right decisions in their life, and they're my age or somewhere near my age, and they're living somewhere really dark right now because they're afraid to take responsibility to come clean and to ask for forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, this is such a great verse of not only practice but promise. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. That's not where the verse ends. See, if you say to God, dear God, and we, you, know, we, you know we do when we're confessing our sin? We do the blanket forgiveness. I do this too. Dear Lord, um, can you please forgive me for everything I've done wrong for the past 14 days? I can't remember everything, but you know what's going on, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm clean. Now, God wants you to say, hey, listen, I've been prideful, or I did this. Will, will you forgive me? Here's what the Bible says will happen in your life. If you confess, he forgives, right? So he forgives you. He forgives you, but that's not all there is. The Bible says he cleanses you. You're not just forgiven. You're made whole. You're, you're clean. My daughter Emily sent me a video yesterday, and if you don't believe me, I'll send it to you after. Uh, ask me in the hallway. I'll show it to you on my phone. She sent me a video on a text message of her going through the car wash because that's like a love language of mine. I love a clean car, you know. And, and when she gets her car washed, she's doing it because either I'm going to be there or Kim's going to be there. And she's coming home this week for college, amen, But uh, for, for Thanksgiving. But she, she sends me these videos, Dad, I learned really good, my car is clean. And, and this was my response to her. And, I'm, I'm, and this is why I'm studying and reading yesterday and thinking about my message. I said, doesn't it feel good to come clean? I was like, ooh, I'm going to say that in my message tomorrow. You know? Doesn't a clean car make you feel good, you know? Did you ever get in somebody's car that was really dirty, you didn't want to touch anything, there was dog hair and, and soda rings and scents, just different scents that were just ungodly? Dog, you know what I don't like? I don't like when I get in somebody else's car and there's dog nose smearing and licking on the window. I'll ride in your car like this. Get out and Purell like my whole body afterwards, I'm telling you, because it's, it's super gross to me. But that's what... That's what sin purification looks like. You're forgiven and you're clean now. That's what God does for you and me when we ask for forgiveness. And here's the last thing, and I, I love this. If you come in today and you have a hiccup, a speed bump, or you've hit a wall in your life spiritually because there's sin in your life that's hard for you to talk about, take responsibility for your sin. Come clean. Now listen, coming clean doesn't mean you have to stand here and tell everybody you're junk. No, that's not what that means. Coming clean says, I know that I did wrong and I acknowledge that. And then David tells us, as we learn, to ask and receive forgiveness. And here's my favorite part of this whole thing we're going to talk about today is this. Request a fresh work of God's grace in your life. Listen to what happens to David after he owns it after he comes clean, after he asks for forgiveness, there's a result of that. There's a cause and there's an effect. The cause was him asking for forgiveness and being cleansed and trusting God to make him whole. Here's the result or the effect of that. It says in verse number 10, um, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your son. And I love that verse. 
Think about the moment in your life that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I have a relationship with God. I've been forgiven. I'm cleansed and I'm whole. And that should be a very sweet memory for you. And if you've been saved for a long time, like David had a relationship with God since he was a young boy, he says, God, will you restore to me that freshness of that relationship we had when I first came to know you? That's what that means. And he says, make me willing to obey you. And here's the result. Then. This is so cool. Then I will teach your way to rebels or sinners. And they will return to you. You know what that means? God can take your mess and turn it into his message. And I, I have messes in my life. When I, when I've talked to some guys uh, in our church that, that I've prayed with that said, Pastor, I've struggled with this. And, and what do I do? Bro, I'm with you. I went through that too. It's a daily struggle. I get where you're coming from. Let me help you and pray for you because I can tell you that God will deliver you. Number five, we request, request a fresh work of God's grace. And lastly is this, resolve to use past failure for future ministry. Here, here's, listen to these verses. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves, and I will joyfully sing of your Forgiveness, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. God can use your past as a purpose for your future. God can take your mess and turn it into his message. And he wants to do that. You say, okay, what's, what's, so what do I got to do? Here's what you got to do. Are you willing to be used by God to accomplish his will for your life? then just be honest with him about who you are. You know, we think that as you grow in the church culture, you know, and you get, you get, you know, maybe I'll be a deacon someday, maybe I'll be a leader someday, maybe I'll be a teacher someday, maybe I'll do this someday. Listen, you know what God wants from all of us? He wants us to be real. He just wants us to be real. So you know what? It's okay if you struggle with alcohol and you're part of this church. It is. It's okay if you struggle with drugs and you're part of this church. It's okay if you struggle with sexual sins and you want to be a part of this church. It's okay if you're a habitual liar. Man, that's a big deal in church culture today because we're afraid of telling the truth. Wasn't that a, wasn't that a show one day to tell the truth, 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 truth? I think that was just, anyway, it was a long time ago. But it's hard for us to to really be super duper honest about ourselves. Because here's what happens. If we're really honest about ourselves, and we're drawing attention to ourselves. If we're really, really honest with ourselves, we're oversharers. If we're really, really honest about ourselves, we're elevating ourselves. Now listen, when you're honest, there's a freshness that comes to that. Because you know what doesn't exist a whole lot of today? The truth. It just, it just doesn't. Politicians blame everybody else, their constituency. Leaders blame the people that are under them. The people that are under them blame. I mean, man, we're just blame, 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 blame. Hey, I've messed up. My name is Ed Trinkle. And I've been sinless for about 12 hours. Of which eight of those I was sleeping, by the way. I just want you to know that. And I hope this is a safe place where you will understand that person that's going through something, it's like you looking into a mirror because it's just like you.
It's just like you. So if God could take your past and make it your future purpose, if God could take your mess and turn it into his message, then, then here's what I would encourage you to do this morning. Deal with it the right way. Deal with it the right way. If you get out in front of it and, and you're honest about it and you get help and you talk about it and you confess it and you ask God for a clean heart and you ask him to use it, God's going to do things in your life like Ephesians 3.20 size stuff. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to God's power that works in us. He wants to do that in all of us. And you may say, oh man, you don't know, man. I had this position or I had this perception that people had of me and because this is in my life, there's no way I could ever... No, listen, that's Satan talking. Because Satan is the father of all lies. Satan is the destroyer. He walks around this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He not only wants you to, to get involved with that sin, he wants that sin to consume you. Here's what God wants you to do. He wants to set you free. He wants to forgive you. I don't usually go into an argument thinking, man, by the time this argument is done, I really want to forgive that person. God does. That's all he wants to hear. Will you make it right with him today? If there's something in your life today, listen, I'm not asking if this is your first time in church and you've never heard about Jesus and you want to ask him to be your savior. If you do, I'll talk to you about that. But here's what I'm asking you this morning. If you've hit a hiccup, a speed bump, and you're facing something pretty yucky in your life, own it today. Ask God to cleanse you. Ask God to forgive you. And ask God to use it for his glory and his purpose. 